Dr. Vera de Junkera was born in the Flemish region of Belgium. She got her DVM from the University of Ghent in 2001 with a concentration on equine practice. She spent the next two years in a large animal practice in rural France, then moved to Leicester, England to work in small animal practice. She spent five years in allopathic small animal practice before starting to work in a rehabilitation and sports medicine practice. Today, she works in a number of clinics working with patients using acupuncture, chiropractic, therapeutic exercise, nutrition, and herbal medicine. She studied veterinary phytotherapy with Peter Conway, medical herbalism with Carrie Bone, and Chinese medicine with both Giovanni Machocha and CIVT. She is certified in acupuncture by the Association of British Veterinary Acupuncturists and in chiropractic by the International Veterinary Chiropractic Association. She is also one of the founders of the British Association of Veterinary Herbalists. In this conversation, we discuss her childhood in Belgium, her veterinary school experience, and her exposure to a wide variety of veterinary experience through traditional employment, locum practice, and as a volunteer for animal charities in Europe and Asia. We also cover how she structures her practice in order to best serve her clients. Please enjoy. Viela, thanks for taking the time today. Hello, good evening. So where were you born? Um, I was born in Belgium, in Flanders, so the Dutch-speaking part of Belgium, in a small town um, in, near the coast, so near the, near the battlefields of the, the world wars, actually. <laughs> that must have been interesting. So were you in a rural area then? or? Um, the Flemish countryside um, is very built up, um, so I, I sort of live in a, in a very kind of um, affluent part of, uh, I lived, I grew up in an affluent part of Flanders, mm-hmm. um, so after the World Wars, pretty much everything was bombed, so um, Flemish people are very industrious, um, we are born with a brick in our stomach, so we build, and we build a bit more, and we build a bit more, so it's it's quite a lot of suburban um, countryside. So there's, there's, I, I wouldn't say that I grew up in a in a green uh, countryside. It's it's very much farming um, and and cows, but not like it, it, in a more industrious way. So a lot of intensive farming, um, not like in the states, but um, and then a lot of small industry. Um, so not rural at all. I would say. Did you have animals growing up then? Yeah, so my 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 mother is from a farming uh, family, so we had uh, when I was six, I got a pony, <laughs> and then um, we had dogs, and my parents had an orchard, so we pretty much sort of though it, 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 it there was not a lot of green countryside around it, but we had a, like a little bubble, um, so yeah, I I had um, we had chickens, uh, we cats, dogs. Um, but the ponies, the horses were a massive part of my childhood. Yeah. So when did you decide you wanted to be a veterinarian? Oh, very early on. Um, it was quite interesting because I was thinking about that earlier on and I was thinking, why did I become a vet? And I think my brother was a very good horseman and I wasn't as good as him, (laughs) but I was a very good student. So I thought, well, I can't ride as good as him, as well as him. So I'm just going to become a vet. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I think I was 12, 13, and that was it. I never, ever thought of anything else uh, than being a vet. Um, I, I think it was a, a quite a driving force through high school. 
um, that I wanted to achieve as high as possible marks because I wanted to go to that uni. Never even looked at anything else. <laughs> oh, that's good. So where'd you go to school? So in Belgium, you have two universities, one in the French part, French speaking part, and one in the Flemish speaking part. Um, so I went to Ghent, which is somewhere between the coast and Brussels. So a big university town. And yeah. that's the only university that um, you can do veterinary science at in Belgium. How many were in your class? Um, well, it's interesting um, because in Belgium, it was it has changed over time. But at the time, everybody who wanted to have a go, a stab at veterinary medicine, could have a go. Mm -hmm. So it's six years um, and everybody was allowed to start. So the first year... I think we might have been 200 students, wow. but it's cruel. Um, you know, it's it, not cruel. It's brutal. Um, the first year is like a, a cull. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think we maybe went with 110 to the second year. So at least half drop out. And then every year until year three, people drop out because it's, it's extremely intense and because there is no triage before they do it at university so it, it's quite a, a brutal process the first three years uh, and in total it's six so what courses are, are weeding people out are, are they basic sciences then that people yeah. can't yeah physics chemistry um that i would say um in the first year that I think we didn't see an animal in the first year. Maybe we didn't. We might have had some dissection classes, but it's um, very, very much a triage process of getting the heart cord science in, um, and then I think anatomy and all that starts in the second year. And even the first year wasn't even based at the veterinary university. It was in in amongst the biology students, the med students. We weren't really part of the veterinary university until we actually went to the second year that might have changed over time because of course it's a while ago now but um yeah after that first year you think what have i started here yeah um but i i did well and i and, and i do think that's because i had i was extremely driven yeah. um so i i i, I was a good student did you have an idea of what sort of medicine you wanted to practice when you were in school well actually I think I've always known I wanted to do herbal medicine, which is also a funny kind of, it was, it, it was always there. I was always going to go down the road I've done, uh, that I've traveled down. Um, so it, it was always going to be not the conventional route that I was going to take. Um, but in, during veterinary medicine, you have to sort of choose which, if you're going to do large animal or industry or, um, equine or small animal and I did equine because I thought that was going to be the most fun at university and because yeah. I came from a horse background um, I mean with hindsight I most probably would have concentrated more on the small animal medicine because that's where I ended up with but um, the last year to do equine medicine was great fun because you, you had loads of um, you know clinical experience um, because it was quite a, a big horse um, faculty and um, yeah I did mainly large animal in the last year and then later in my career when in my working career went down the small animal route. So how does licensure work then it, when you've only had an say an equine emphasis in school do you have to take a, a licensing exam that covers all species or how does that work? 
So when you graduate, you're you're a vet in every species, but you mm. have had a bias towards one species, but you're still allowed to do small animal. You're still allowed to do bovine. It's then what you sort of, what happens in Belgium, a lot of vets are still um, a, a practitioner of large animals and small animals. That mm-hmm. has, of course, changed. I mean, I work in the UK, which is very much most vets are small animals or large animal or equine. Um, in Belgium, when I graduated, a lot of vets did cattle and then in the evening did some consulting, did some small animal, sort of uh-huh. kind of rural, kind of James Harriet style practice. And that has, I think there's still a bit of that going on in, in, in Belgium, definitely. But I know of friends who've come to the UK and gone back to Belgium, that there's definitely kind of now splitting up again in more small animal clinics and large animal clinics. So that that is changing. You know, we all get more specialized in what we do but we are not um prohibited from practicing whatever um we are interested in if that makes sense it does so when you were in school was there any opportunity to have exposure to holistic medicine um i was thinking about that again earlier and i think we mentioned acupuncture somewhere along the line and in the first year we had some kind of plant-based kind of science but that was more towards pharmacology so that wasn't mm-hmm. really linked to herbal medicine so i don't think i had any exposure to chiropractic acupuncture physiotherapy um, herbal medicine at all at university so for me that started when i moved to france so i went straight after graduation I didn't even register as a vet in the, in Belgium, I think, initially. Mm-hmm. I went straight to work in France, and I worked in a practice where there was a lot more. Um, it was a, a rural practice, but um, one of the vets had a, an interest in phytotherapy, so herbal medicine for cattle and a large animal. And one of the vets there had studied osteopathy and mm-hmm. so and acupuncture. So, yeah, all of a sudden I had this exposure and I thought, well, this is what I'm going to do. This is definitely the road I want to go down to. But I also knew that I had to become a first, a good all-rounder. Yeah. There was no way I was going to dive into acupuncture without actually being a good first-line practitioner because I, I felt that I needed that base and then start looking into the other fields that I wanted to do. Oh, I agree with you. I mean, you you have to be a good basic veterinarian first, I think. Yeah. I yeah. Think. So what took you back, to, what took you to the UK then? That was a, <laughs> several factors. Um, I needed a change. So I had worked in rural France in a practice and that was, I think, one of the most amazing years of my life, but it was very James Harriet style, uh, you know, the stories and, and the experience we had there. And then I went to Paris and I worked in a refer. I, I did six weeks of free internship in a, in a big referral practice. And I had a shock because I saw quite a disparity between the rural countryside practice and this high end practice in Paris. But I struggled with the whole city life. And I was like, where am I going to go to get that kind of experience of becoming a very good small animal practitioner without having to live in a big um french town and um you know do an internship and 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 go down that route so i just 
you know, it was at a moment in my life I wanted to complete change. So I, I just had some friends who worked in the UK and they put me up for a few nights and I went to apply for jobs. And I think to this day, this very first vet in the UK that hired me must have been absolutely bonkers. But it was, um, so I arrived in Leicester from from the French countryside. I went to Leicester, which is, um, it's, it's, a, it's a very diverse city with a very big Indian community. And it was around Diwali festival and I drove through this town and there was curry houses. I'd never eaten a curry in my life. Yeah. Went to apply for this job and this this um, old older vet said, so what are you going to say to this uh, lady when she talks in a very big Leicester accent? You know, my, my, my dog has diarrhea. And I was like, you, you wanted to know how I was going to cope with the language difference. And I was like, well, I'm Belgian and I've worked in France, so going to England, I'll find a way. And that was yeah. clearly the right answer. And yeah, it was. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm. I'm so grateful to those those two vets that they took a. a yeah, it gave me a chance, um, and I learned so much in that first year. You know, um, living on my own in, in another country again. But also the Brits have a whole different culture than the French. Um, yeah. And, and then, you know, the weather wasn't as nice. And I was in a big city with, you know, loads of different cultures. Yeah. It was quite a shock, um, but very interesting. And then I started to, to do herbal medicine courses. And yeah, that's where it then started. So you, while you were in Leicester, you started? Yes. Yeah, so I... In the UK, you have to do your CPD, and I chose. Um, there was a course being run somewhere in Oxford in herbal medicine by a human herbalist um, and a vet, and so I enrolled, and that was it. Um, I, I started on my course, and then so I didn't start with acupuncture or chiropractic. I went first for herbal medicine, and then the rest sort of followed out of that. So yeah, that's how it went. So how long were you in Leicester then? About two years, I think, or maybe a bit less. And then uh, I went locuming. So locuming was um, because I wanted to travel and explore other options of, you know, other parts in the UK. So you work. I worked as a locum. I would work three, four months and then go three, four months traveling or studying. Um, I went on, I did at one point, I did a module of a master's in sustainable development in a, um, a college in the south of the UK, um, just because I wanted to explore what I wanted to do with my future, with my life, with within my profession. Yeah. And it was about sustainable development. And I was like sitting there between architects and engineers and biologists, and they were all trying in their field to find a sustainable way of living and working. And I just sat there and I thought, why am I thinking of having to change every, anything. If I do acupuncture, uh, use my hands, use herbs, that's within my profession, finding a sustainable way of uh, making a living. And that was it. You know, I, that, that five, six weeks there showed me I don't need to find a different career. I don't need to find anything else. It's all within my profession. I just need to find and just dig down and go down that route and keep going. And yeah, then it snowballed from there. Oh, wow. So when you had set up these locum 
positions you'd factor in having to go away for your herbal training, yeah? Yeah, and, and I did a lot of charity work as well. So I traveled all through Europe. I spent a few months in Greece. And, um, you know, I just just had a good life, I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> it was late 20s, early 30s. I, I had I had a good life. <laughs> um, didn't save a lot of money, but, um, yeah, just learned a lot. Learned so much. <laughs> so, And you went to, am I right, you went to Bhutan too? Yeah. Yeah, that was that was actually the last big charity adventure I did. So, um, so Bhutan is a, a country you know, just just north of Nepal, yeah. um, and you can only fly in with Bhutan Airways. So you fly to Kathmandu, and then you get on this little plane, and then oh, to the left you have the Mount Everest, <laughs> and you take this nose dive back into into the airport of Bhutan, and that was quite an. It was hard. I have to say it was hard. When I came back from there, I thought, right, I'm, I'm ready to calm down and settle because, you know, you see, you see, um, the lady who ran, who was running the charity had dedicated her life to the charity. And, you know, I was just flitting in and out. And then, you know, it's easy. You do two months of charity work, but you know, at the end, you go home to your Western life. And, but she's still there with 200 dogs in her yard. And, um, she didn't euthanize any animals. So we had a um, huge amount of paraplegics and quite disabled dogs. And uh, I, we could be very judgmental about that and say, well, they, they might, you know, euthanasia and quality of life and blah, blah, blah. But actually, she did the best with what she had, also within the cultural setting. Um, there's that as well. And um, it was very humbling. And Sort of one of the dogs I rescued there, you know, that you pick up from the side of the road, paraplegic. I had a picture of him or a video of him a year later walking. And you think, I would have euthanized that that dog because, Uh and then I realized, you know, rehab and pain management, you know, that's where an interest for those kind of disciplines came because there was no expertise there of doing that. But it was just giving these dogs time and nursing care and thinking wow actually the body is quite an amazing machine (laughs) they can get better not all of them but um when i came home from there from bhutan that's when i sort of took a steady job and knuckled down (laughs) finished my acupuncture courses and then trained in chiropractic and then in 2008 um the, the the financial crisis happened here yeah. My boss um put me on a four day work week because there was a drop in revenue at the practice. And I was like, Yeah, but I was, you know, in my thirties, having a good life, spending a lot of money, not saving a lot. <laughs> I was like, Well, I, I need that extra money for my rent and all that. So I was offered an once one day a week job in um, a rehab center, um yeah. you know, acupuncture. And I took it, and um, yeah, I think six months later, I resigned from my normal job and went to work full-time for her. And that was the the start of actually completely leaving conventional medicine and striking out into, you know, all things wonderful (laughs) and different. (laughs) Which which chiropractic course did you you do? Options or...? 
the German, so they have, um, there's now a UK branch. It's yeah. um, the IAVC um, yeah. in um, Germany. Right, right, right. Um, with Donald Moffat. And um, that was, yeah, I, I would say that's one of the hardest things I ever done because it's it's an art, I think. So mm-hmm. they say, oh, you need to feel this. And I'm like, I can't feel it. <laughs> I was, um, I, I do think that was tough. Um, but again, it's one of these things you do and you think, what did I do before? How yeah. how did I assess animals before? I couldn't even imagine how I did it before. Um, so I did that exam when I was pregnant with my second child, I think. And then, um, yeah. That I mean, I think once you've explored chiropractic, um, yeah, there's no way back. <laughs> so I, I guess I, I was in a similar situation. I felt like when I did the chiropractic training, having worked on horses for a long time, I felt like, man, if I had known how to do an examination like this when I was a conventional equine veterinarian, it really would have been helpful. Yeah, and I, the interesting thing is I did my last year dissertation on back problems in horses, mm-hmm. which was at my university something that wasn't examined. Um, they didn't – I and of course, there were brilliant um, orthopedic vets there, and they were doing a brilliant job, but um, I chose my own subject, and the professor who was supervising must have thought I was absolutely nuts because back problems in horses wasn't really thought of that much. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny that I'm now in small animals examining backs all the time. And I looked at my final year dissertation um, and I was like, there was like a tiny little footnote on chiropractic in there because I had yeah. to find some literature and I had put that in there. I was like, I've come full circle. I'm, I'm, I'm back where I started <laughs> um, my career, um, though it was in horses back then. Um, and it, it's, if you think about it and, they now examine backs routinely, uh, but in those days, back problems wasn't really, you had kissing spines in them. That was bad, it's like celiac disease, and, but there's yeah. so much more to it. So oh, yeah. it's quite funny to have done full circle. <laughs> Did you feel like you had a, uh, a bit of an advantage taking the chiropractic training after acupuncture? Yeah, because your fingers, your fingers yeah. have to. Yeah, I do think so because you get the concept of neuroplasticity already. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you're you're used to touching in a different way. You used to, and a lot of the acupuncture points are in points that you would go chiropractically. So, yep. and it's a confidence as well. You can see if somebody hasn't done a lot of acupuncture. So I don't use guide tubes for uh, needling. I, yeah. I I just go, mm-hmm. and, and people who are not maybe doing acupuncture that much you can see that they're not used to that and i think if you've done years of acupuncture your confidence with palpation but it's still tough i would say you know sometimes i'm like is it is it not i you know i i do find that still chiropractic is most probably for me the the most challenging bit still Um, and it's also taxing on your body that's for Mm. me a big thing um my wrists are not happy (laughs) Right. So how long were you at the rehab practice then? Um, about two, three years. And then, yeah, children, family life is quite incompatible. It was quite incompatible with the traveling. So I found a hydrotherapy center more local. And then 
started working there. So that's my main job now. And I, I run some satellite clinics. Um, so I'm one of those rare breed vets. I actually haven't got that much interest in opening my own practice because I know what I am and I know what I'm not. <laughs> and admin is not my strong side. And um, business is, it's just, I love so much what I do that I don't want to sort of have to deal with some of the other stuff like yeah. hiring and firing staff, um, practice management. So I go into um, another practice and they take a percentage, but I'm sort of a visiting kind of vet who does my thing and I like it as well because then I can bounce ideas off with them um but it's a kind of it's not a boss employee relationship it's a more colleague relationship but with no strings attached does that make sense there's no yeah. financial ticket. it's it's it I, th I quite like it because for me it's the job I'm happy in my room with a dog and my clients because I'm also I really like the contact with my clients um the humans behind the animal and I think if I have to not deal with the business side of things it, I can concentrate entirely on that and I think that maybe is with age that I know who I am and I know what I'm not <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think a lot of people do want their own practice and I, I admire that but it's it's at this stage not something I'm actually interested in weirdly enough <laughs> so you're at two different places yes but it I mean COVID is it hasn't made that necessarily easy so I was in three different places but of course oh. um the profession is under a huge amount of pressure in, in the UK the work pressure versus um what's possible practical um mm -hmm the restrictions um so at the moment that's in flux i've got two practice other practices where i am keen to get involved on the same basis but you know i i just we need to ride this year out that's how i see it um, yeah. and i've got i've got a family as well so i sure. need to always make sure those are cared for <laughs> so pre-covid what was your weekly schedule like? How many days are you at one place and how many days at another? So two full days, um, long days. These are 10, 12 days at one practice and then one kind of full day from eight till seven at another practice. And then on the other two days, admin and then the herbal medicine um, because I, I, you know, I do not dispense at the time of consult. I go home, write my notes think about things sometimes a bit too long <laughs> and mm. then make my prescriptions send those out um do my admin stuff so those are the other days and then um i think two extra days a month i was doing another practice but you can see i i was sort of if you dotted it up i was doing full-time hours but in very long days um and then occasionally a saturday as well so that's how it worked that's really nice to have that to give yourself that time to to uh, think about what you're going to do from an herbal standpoint. Yeah, I think, and and that's I, I I've really appreciated that during COVID as well. Um, the restrictions that um, I've had time to rethink some of me my patients, so I had to write up a case log and was like, you need to do your reflection bit, and you think, 
what was I doing when I made that? <laughs> and you think like, right, out with the old, in with the new. Sometimes you need to have a have a have a rethink. Um, and and that's the Western herbal medicine. You have to sort of make your formula, think about it, make make your treatment aims, your strategy, make your formula, then blend it together, label it, pack it up, bill it, post it. So you know, before you know, you're quite a, a bit down the road <laughs> time wise. So logistically, that's what you're doing is you're you're creating your formula and then you're you're putting it in the post then. Yeah, I don't. I don't tend to dispense on the spot because I don't want to be. Um, I want to have time to think. And at the time, you might think, "Well, I'll do that because I've got that closest to hand." Or it's just I want to really not dispense on the spot, unless mm-hmm. you know it's a, it's a very straightforward tablet or a very straightforward repeat. But it's sort of. Um, some client said oh i'll come and pick it up and i said no i do my postal run it all goes in the post you get it um i i i don't want to sit with the clients waiting in the waiting room trying to figure out what am i going to do oh i'm out of stock of this product oh, i'll quickly use that that that's sort of like um that doesn't work for me but i'm i'm very lucky in that that i can take that time i think in a normal practice um there might be some time pressures maybe for that so are you following up in person or are you doing that over the phone or how, how does that work um yeah i i follow up in person but again covid has forced me to do some teleconsults which has been very interesting because i did a few teleconsults in the beginning and i said All right right okay i understand we'll do this and then five weeks later or four weeks later to see the dog in person and you think wow I went completely down, not completely down the wrong road, but we definitely need to do quite a lot of changes. Um, so um, teleconsults has definitely its limitations with herbal medicine, I find. It's 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 good as a start point maybe, but you do really need to have your hands on that dog or cat or, in your case, a, a horse um, at some point, I feel. Oh, yeah, I agree. So I know you have extensive training in Western herbs and, and Chinese herbal medicine as well. So when it comes to a patient, how do you, in your mindset, how do you uh, decide what sort of herbs you're going to dispense? I mean, Western herbs is my first love, I would say. But um, so when I was um, pregnant with my first child, there was a scholarship um, with the British Acupuncture Association for um, Chinese Medicine with CIVT, mm-hmm. and I won that. So I got sort of uh, an introduction in the idea of Chinese medicine. Um, I think Chinese medicine, I am not as confident as a lot of kind of more experienced colleagues, but when a formula fits like it fits so neatly with that patient, you can't help it. You look at it and it's like, well, that's a senior sand dog. <laughs> I can't give anything but senior sand. So for me, I've got sort of not, I've got an, a, a certain type of patient that I'll go down the Chinese route to. Um, but sometimes I'm like, right, this week I'm not doing any Chinese. I'm just going to do Western. I need to just, you know, buckle down and, and think and, you know, if it doesn't fit entirely to a Chinese formula, I won't do it. And then I need to sort of sit down and work out my Western herbal medicine. So, yeah, I, I think I'm mainly a Western herbal medicine practitioner, I would say. 
Gotcha. Hey, uh, can you talk to me about how you helped form the British Association of Veterinary Herbalists? Oh, that was an interesting. So we were this kind of little group that went to Oxford. And um, so it was Peter Conway, which is a human herbalist. He lives in Canada now. Um, and so we, we did this course and then we were sent out in the wide world to go and, you know, convince our bosses that this was legit, that we were <laughs> really knew what we were doing. So there was about 10 or 15 of us that sort of um, started this association. And then um, some emigrated, some disappeared. Um, and then uh, about 10 years ago, there was, it, it wasn't, it wasn't taking off in the UK. So um, uh, there was a kind of little core group of five, six vets. And I was like, right, this is not going to die on my watch. <laughs> um, so um, we just logged it and um you know as a train behind us like we're gonna we're gonna make this work and we had a meeting and then barbara came over and then it sort of we found a group of new young vets so i had a few vets who came to see practice with me and they went home and they uh, started herbal medicine because that's what they were going to be there's these young new vets so there's this kind of whole new spirit um i think the last two three years have been really exciting because we have young vets coming through who want something different i think it's also linked with the whole um rethink about rehabilitation so physiotherapy because mm -hmm. herbal medicine links in so nicely with that because these yeah. are all kind of palliative care uh, chronic diseases um, so there's this kind of, you know, young vets that now really want a piece of this. And I'm also excited about the movement towards sustainable, um, practice, you know, yeah. from an ecological point of view. And I think herbal medicine fits entirely in with that, which, you know, we have antibiotic resistance, resistance to, uh, parasite treatment. Um, and I think that's the next big step that, if conventional vets start seeing that this is actually a really valid option. Um, so there's a few oncologists that are interested. Um, I think the pushback is less hard than it was a few years ago. And we've got some very clever vets coming through who are doing the courses. So, you know, and there's now, you know, I, I, I think sort of I, I've handed over. We're now the old ones <laughs> in this country, yeah. um, which is very exciting. The future looks pretty good, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, it's early days, but it's looking at an awful lot better than five, six years ago. There's a few um, young vets who've opened the practice which is a pure holistic practice where they only do have a medicine and acupuncture and rehab and nutrition i mean that's unheard of 10 15 years ago uh, there used to be a few vets who did it but they were like you know quite hardcore and these are just people in their late 20s who are starting a practice like that and that's exciting yes there's not uh, many of us but it's also driven by the public, I have to say. Uh, the public um, wants something different. And um, we need to just make sure that we don't push them in the hands of unqualified people. So by promoting ourselves as 
being fully qualified vets with experience, hopefully. Um, the Royal College might not make it easy for us, but I'm, I'm very hopeful. I'm very, very hopeful. Good. That seems like a good place to, to stop. I don't want to keep you too long. <laughs> it was great talking to you. Thank you for having me. That was no, very, no. Uh, I'm honored. <laughs> it was great to hear your story. Hope to see you soon. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.